You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Thank you for joining us this morning on Easy's Community Focus, where we look at the issues that matter in South Florida and the people and organizations that are making a difference. Of course, COVID-19 continues to be top of mind. This past week, we passed the 500,000 mark in deaths from the disease in just one year. However, we also have passed the mark of one million veterans who have now been vaccinated. And I am thrilled to welcome Dr. Gio Baracco, an infectious disease expert who works with the Miami VA. Thank you so much for finding time to talk to us today. Oh, hello, Ellen, and thank you so much for having me on your show. You know, working with the veterans, there are a lot of questions about if access is different for veterans and are they at a different kind of risk. But I'd like to start with why you, as an infectious disease expert, choose to give your time to the veterans, to the VA. Uh, That's a very important question. I have been with the VA for over 20 years now. Essentially, since I started my career after training, I joined the VA and the University of Miami, and I have spent the majority of my time with uh, veterans. This is a very special and very unique population. They give a lot for us, and it is uh, just uh, as important that we give back to them in the best way that we know how. The veterans, again, are a population that sometimes has been not completely understood, but uh, that are as grateful and as unique and as important as anybody else in the community. And we are honored to be able to care for them the same way that they have cared for us during their service. Absolutely. uh, Gratitude and it is uh, commitment to them. It is about uh, recognizing their unique needs and their unique characteristics. Yeah, I would add courage, the the courage to go and put their lives on the line to protect our country and to fight overseas when that is necessary and be in situations that are things we can't possibly imagine in our fairly comfortable life in America. That goes without saying. They're the most courageous people I absolutely know. Yeah, so I can understand your passion for working with them. Let me ask you, how have our vet centers adjusted to the COVID-19 pandemic in the way that you're able to provide services for our veterans? So we started planning for COVID before any cases were documented in the United States. Essentially, since December 2019, we started looking at ways in which we were going to modify our processes and our healthcare systems to be able to care for them when and if uh, this pandemic came. So when when it did, we very early and very uh, appropriately were able to shift to telemedicine. We were able to 
shift our resources to make sure that we screen the people appropriately, that we tested people appropriately, that we continue to do all the care that needed to be done. And this included face-to-face caring of the patients and surgeries and uh, cancer treatment, mental health services. Whatever it is that we needed to do for them, we have continued to do, but sometimes in a a different way. So uh, we did decrease our face-to-face appointments uh, very significantly and were able to uh, match those and actually uh, overmatch those with telehealth visits when that was appropriate. So no care was not given. But on the contrary, we uh, were able to continue to meet all of our veterans' care needs in a way that was safe for them and for our staff as well. You know, with all of the challenges that veterans already face, particularly after serving in wartime and then reintegrating into society, very often coming back with injuries or post-traumatic stress disorder, do those things put veterans at higher risk for getting COVID? Right. So in in some ways, uh, veterans are uh, perfectly trained to handle the unique challenges of a pandemic. They understand a threat and what it takes to win a difficult battle against a difficult enemy, just like COVID. Um, But, you know, the social isolation has impacted everyone, including our veterans. And uh, that's why we have uh, stepped out our outreach, embraced the virtual tools, make sure that every veteran who needs their services gets them. At the same time, there's uh, veterans that have uh, service-related injuries like PTSD, you mentioned, and and, and other uh, issues. And many of them uh, live in congregate settings, uh, sometimes a homeless shelter, for example, and they could be at higher risk because of the congregate setting, not so much because of them being veterans or having a particular medical condition. So very early on, we focused on those groups, making sure that we reached out to them, that we had enough PPE, and that we prioritized our homeless veterans as much as our nursing home veterans and our spinal cord injury veterans, our home-based primary care veterans, all of them, we prioritized them for the vaccine as soon as that became available. Okay, so the testing that you do at the VA is for all veterans, not just those who are in hospital care. Well, COVID testing and vaccination are considered healthcare services. By law, we can provide health services to those who are enrolled and eligible for VA healthcare services. Okay. Uh, which is the majority of veterans who live in South Florida, but it may not be all of them. On a side note, we have seen a number of veterans who have not used VA before, uh, who never used VA before. They, they've come in for vaccination at the same time applied for healthcare benefits. And actually, we encourage all the veterans to explore that if they have not enrolled for VA care, that they talk to us, they come to us, they check their eligibility. And if they are eligible to enroll for care with us and, of course, to get vaccinated or tested or whatever it is that they need with us. What's the best way if there's a veteran listening right now or a family member, a loved one who knows that their veteran is not enrolled for the VA health care benefits, where do they contact you to go ahead and explore that and sign up? Uh, they can call our medical center. Uh, the number is one three zero five five seven five seven thousand. That's our main number. 
They can also uh, look us up online. Uh, it's miami.va.gov. And uh, all the information is there for them to uh, be able to check their eligibility, enroll, care. They can, of course, always come to one of our facilities, and uh, our staff will take care of them and, and you know, check them for eligibility, enroll them if necessary. Wonderful. Now, veterans, are they in a separate category for the priority order for getting vaccinated? Like, do you get a separate allotment of vaccines from the general public? Yes. So the Department of Veterans Affairs, as a federal entity, received a separate allocation of vaccine uh, from the state. So we don't get the same as the state of Florida. We are not part of that distribution, but rather um, VA central office in Washington uh, gets a certain amount and divides it up among the different VAs throughout the country. And I, I had seen the statistic just this past week that we've hit the million mark for veterans vaccinated. That's nationwide. How are we doing locally with reaching our veterans and getting them vaccinated for COVID? Well, we're actually doing great. Um, if you think about how many people in the United States have received at least one dose of the vaccine, it's about 13% or so. And VA at large is doing about 20%. Miami VA is doing over 33%. So out of all the veterans that are enrolled with us and are actively receiving care with us, we have vaccinated over a third of them already. Love it. Does the VA provide transportation for veterans who need that to get to a center and get vaccinated? Some veterans have injuries connected to their military service and they may be eligible for transportation. But our main hospital is really located right off the Metroline Civic Center stop. And both Broward County, Miami-Dade County have special transportation program for veterans. Um, not every veteran is eligible for transportation, only some of them. But again, it, we're pretty accessible, uh, I think, to public and, and, of course, private transportation. Right. Okay. Have you seen, I know there's so many weird conspiracy theories out there. Have you seen or felt any resistance from the people you're dealing with to getting vaccinated, Uh, you know, particularly in light of how in the past, you know, we're going back, say, 50 years to Vietnam, when veterans were essentially experimented on with Agent Orange. Uh, Is that something that's carried over to this time or are, are people comfortable with getting the vaccine? There's a number of people, both veterans and non-veterans, who are hesitant to receive the vaccine. Um, they're uh, concerned about a number of different things. Uh, one is the speed with which this vaccine was developed, the uncertainty about the long-term potential consequences of, uh, of it. Uh, there's, of course, other thoughts and other myths about, I don't know, getting microchips implanted and, and, and other things that, yeah, I'd love to talk about. Let's, and, uh, let, let's bust let, let, these conspiracy let's theories because, honestly, they make me crazy. Uh, they, there is a group of people, I don't know who they are, but I see them online, and they're just so determined to make this into an evil cabal of people who want to turn us into sheep and they're going to control us with the microchip and run us. And and that's just not the case. 
No, absolutely not. So let's start with COVID-19 itself. This was not something created by the government to keep us in our homes and make us dependent on them. No, and it it was not incredibly unlikely a virus uh, created in the laboratory by the Chinese to exert some form of world domination or anything like that. Uh, there's there's actually a, a team of the World Health Organization right now in, in China uh, exploring all the origins of uh, this virus. Uh, they have not yet published their final reports, but uh, they have given interviews on what they have found. And, and they have not found any evidence that this is a laboratory-produced virus. In addition to that, you know, if you were trying to really design the the evil genius virus, this probably would not be the one you would design right, right. Um, for a different reason. Right. And and historically, throughout time, there have always been pandemics. I mean, look at the Black Plague in the 1400s and the Spanish flu uh, in 1918. You know, millions and millions of people died, and these were things that happen naturally in nature, and we expect there will be more pandemics in the future. I've heard that there may be more frequent pandemics and worse pandemics. Is that correct? Well, we don't know that. Uh, having said that, uh, pandemics happen because of two things. One is the natural tendency of all viruses to evolve, just like we as a community uh, and as a species uh, evolve, so do the viruses actually a much faster speed, right? Um, And viruses, when they are reproducing within a host and passing from host to host, have tiny little changes that happen to them. And that's normal. That happens with every virus all the time. Now, some of these changes will allow the virus to infect a different host. For instance, you mentioned the the 1918 uh, influenza pandemic in which there was an avian flu virus that mutated and infected humans. And in this case, it seems like this is a bad virus that has mutated and acquired the ability to infect people. So that's the first condition, which is the, the changes need to happen, and they do happen naturally over time. The second thing that needs to happen is that you need to put that virus in contact with the new host. And that is happening more and more because we are expanding our environment, our human environment, and we're getting more in touch with things like bats uh, and other animals that normally we would not. Under those circumstances, there being natural changes that happen with viruses, and there being more interaction between humans and those other hosts, is that pandemics start to occur. They could happen more frequently, but again, uh, it is a cycle. There is a pandemic every 20 or 30 years as as part of a natural history of uh, our societies. You know, we had one in 2009, which is a very mild one. It was just the H1N1 uh, pandemic. Before that, we had a few scares, right? So there was SARS, which is a coronavirus, just like this one, Mm -hmm. and uh, MERS in the Middle East. 
right. uh, which was also a coronavirus, just like this one. They they did not progress like uh, COVID nineteen has, but they could have, and we will have more in the future. Uh, no question about that. Let's just hope that we can identify and contain them as fast as we possibly can. Yeah, I, this is certainly a heck of a practice run for future pandemics. One of the challenges that I know the uh, healthcare and medical researchers have faced has been the COVID virus already mutating several times since it was first discovered. How are we handling that? And perhaps what's most top of mind for people is, will the current vaccines be able to fight those mutations? Right. So, uh, as I mentioned, viruses mutate naturally as they reproduce inside the host or travel from host to host. And, and most of those mutations actually make the virus inviolable and it can dies away. And some of them don't do anything one way or another. And it is the accumulation of a certain number of mutations that just happens by chance that provide a different characteristic to a particular virus. And when that happens, viruses can become a little more transmissible, for example, or more aggressive, or they could escape the immunity from someone who already had the infection or someone who's had the vaccine. Now, we have seen around the world three major variants, we call them. These variants don't have a single mutation. They have anywhere between eight and 12 mutations each. Mm. Uh, but it is that combination of mutations that uh, give them their characteristics. And the three ones are, and you know, we colloquially call them like the UK variant, the South African variant, and the Brazilian variant, because that's where they first appeared, or at least they were first recognized. And the one that has been spreading the most and and spreading the fastest has been the United Kingdom one, uh, which is called the B117 variant. Yes, of course, we are concerned about that uh, for a couple of different reasons. But to the question that you asked me, uh, our vaccine, uh, the ones that we currently have available, seem to be very effective against B117, just as they are to the original strain. Now, the reason that we are concerned about this is because this particular variant seems to be more transmissible so that it has the potential of producing, you know, the next wave uh, and and do that at a much faster pace. And in a, in a way, it becomes a race between this variant and its ability to start setting shop in our community and our ability to vaccinate as many people as we possibly can to try and stop it from taking hold. That's the real challenge. How do we inoculate enough people uh, with a vaccine so that they'll be protected and they'll protect others by extension? If you don't get sick, you don't infect anybody else, you don't infect your families, you don't infect your coworkers, and they don't infect anybody else. So, you know, you stop the chain of, of transmission and that effect really potentiates much more than just you being protected. That is what we're trying to do here. Now, we've been told that even once we are vaccinated, we should still be practicing all of the prevention techniques, social distancing, wearing masks, of course, washing our hands. That goes without saying. Why is that still necessary once we're vaccinated? Uh, So think about 
protection as a matter of having the multiple layers. Each, each layer of protection is imperfect, right? So each layer has holes. You can get infected despite wearing a mask, despite washing your hands, despite any one of these interventions in isolation is, is not perfect. And, and, and vaccination is a very good, very effective layer, but it's not perfect either. It has you know, 90 to 95% protection from symptomatic disease, and that's, that's a fantastic number, and it's really, really effective. But that means that there's still a 5-10% chance, or at least a, a, a 5-10% of your original risk likelihood right. that you, you could get infected and could transmit the disease to others. And so the real measure by which we will eventually start taking back some of these layers is when COVID stops circulating to such a large extent as it is now. So the number, the decrease in the number of cases, the decrease in the number of people in the hospital, the decrease in the number of people dying from this is really what's going to guide us starting to pull back on these measures. And we hope that we can accomplish that through vaccination. Okay. Uh, the other way would be, of course, to wait for everyone to get sick and have millions more dead. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, not, not the, ch- that's, the, the that's choice. That's not what we want to do. No, definitely not. Of course, there are so many people who say, well, it's just like the flu. And the numbers do not warrant that statement. 500,000 people do not die annually from the flu. Can you explain the difference between a normal flu and COVID? So COVID is uh, one of these illnesses that has a huge spectrum of illness. It can be, uh, people can be completely asymptomatic, not even know that they have it, not have any symptoms, but have it and pass it on. All the way to people have being incredibly sick, uh, getting to the hospital, going into a ventilator and, and dying of it in spite of all the efforts of the best healthcare in the world. So it is like the flu to some people, but it's definitely not like the flu to many others. So there's, you know, at least 500,000 people who will disagree with the statement yeah. that uh, that this is just like the flu. Of course, to some people, it, it can be like the flu. The problem is not that. The problem is that those people who have mild illness are the ones who transmit it the most. They say, well, you know, I'm not that sick, right? So I'm still going to go to work. I'm still going to... Um, go see my friends or see my family. You know, I, I think I have just allergies and I'm not that sick. I, I took some Tylenol. I'm fine. Uh, those are the ones who are passing it on to, to others. So it is even more important if you think that you can get mild disease, that you get vaccinated. Because it's not just about you. It is about everyone that you can pass it on, many of whom might not have such a mild illness like you would have. I have seen more than my share of stories of families who got together just for a birthday celebration. It turned out that one of them had a mild case, and every single person at the gathering ended up getting it, and where maybe one or two died because they were more susceptible or had a higher risk factors. And I can't imagine what it's like for the person whose birthday was being celebrated to have to think about that now every year, that 
in some way, they must feel responsible for the deaths of family members. And it's not just family. It's happened at weddings. It's happened at all sorts of large gatherings where people just think that, well, we're all fine and everything's going to be okay. So Yeah, I don't think anybody really wakes up in the morning and says, today I'm going to go and check my family. Yeah, right. I think people, you know, uh, it really is unintentional. Um, but again, because we, and, 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 and the people who do that really didn't know, didn't intend to do that. And in that sense, I wouldn't necessarily blame them of, of malice. No, um, no, it's but more... I But I would uh, say that the responsible thing to do now to prevent those things from happening in the first place is to get vaccinated and continue to use all the social distancing, masking, and all these other interventions that are in place until that's such a time in which we can say, okay, this thing is largely over and we can relax a little bit. Okay. Yeah. No, I didn't mean to blame anyone. It's more just the mindset of the awareness that on any day without knowing it, you could be carrying, could be asymptomatic and could pass COVID to someone who doesn't have the same ability to fight it off as you may or may have a more serious case. So it's it's really an awareness and also a consideration for others that we need to keep in mind. Yeah, there are some studies that show that uh, up to 60% of the transmission happens when people have no symptoms. Mm. It's either before they get symptoms, you know, in the day or two before you get symptoms, you already are contagious. And or those people who are never going to actually develop symptoms. But yeah, I, you're absolutely right in that uh, it is that phase in which we don't realize we may have uh, COVID that we can uh, put others at risk. Uh, so so we absolutely need to, to be vaccinated and be careful for us and for others. How do we look at the future. Do we expect this to become a seasonal virus, something that we're going to deal with every year and need a new vaccine every year? Or do we just not know at this point because it's too soon? Yeah, we don't know at this point. Remember, this is a virus that didn't exist a little over a year ago. Uh, at least we, I mean, it, it existed in some version, but not as a, as a human pandemic version. Uh, and we do not know what natural history is going to be over time, uh, how much it's going to become an endemic virus, which means something that we just live with, uh, versus an epidemic uh, virus. We do not know. We're hoping that we will be able to achieve enough uh, community uh, immunity that it essentially will, will disappear, like some other coronaviruses did, like SARS which, you know, it was here, it was happening in some countries, and then it kind of went away. And right. can't really explain that. But that's, that's what we're hoping will happen. It is also possible that it will remain to a certain extent. What I do know, though, or I suspect, is that many of the things that we have changed as a society in our response to this virus will stay with us. I think that uh, education 
will change to some extent. I think that healthcare will uh, change to some extent. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, uh, some of the social events or sports events or culture events will change to a certain degree uh, for a long time to come. We'll have to adapt and we'll have to, I think the, 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 the pendulum will, will swing <laughs> somewhere to the middle and eventually uh, we will be comfortable with having a, a good, productive, normal uh, life. But it's going to be somewhat different than what it was a year, a year and a half ago. Okay. Well, you know, uh, this year is different from a year and a half ago, and 10 years ago was different from 40 years ago, and we've managed to adjust throughout time, and this is just one more adjustment that has been particularly difficult for people, but there does seem to be a light at the end of the tunnel, at least, um, with the vaccines. And again, because you're with the VA, we want to give the information so that our veterans know where to go to get the vaccine. Uh, that is a separate distribution. And it's you said it's miami.va.gov. And the phone number again? 305-575-7000. And for the non-veterans who are interested in the vaccine, we have a whole page on our website at easy931miami.com. So you can follow the links and see when you are in the eligibility category. Um, eventually, they will get to everyone. And we just hope for the best as we keep moving forward. Absolutely. And um, I do want to mention that um, at the VA, again, because we have already vaccinated uh, much of our highest risk veterans, we are vaccinating uh, veterans of any age with uh, comorbid conditions, with, with medical, medical issues. Uh, we are also vaccinating uh, those who are considered uh, essential employees, but they need to be veterans and they need to be eligible. And we are vaccinating any eligible veteran over the age of 65. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Dr. Gio Baracco, infectious disease expert with the Miami VA, I thank you for your time and for your work with helping to care for our veterans and give them the treatment they deserve. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining us this morning for EZ's Community Focus, where we look at the issues that matter in South Florida and the people and organizations that are making a difference. If you have questions or would like to suggest a topic, you can email me at ellen at easy93.com. Join us again next Sunday at 6.50 for a new segment of EZ's Community Focus. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.